Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Happy Labor Day. (laughs) Certainly said it all, I think there. It's weird because sometimes we just look at a holiday on the calendar and there's so much more. There's a lot uh, to celebrate, but there is labor for the Christ follower. There's a good work that we're supposed to join God in. And we're going to talk a good bit about that today. So thank you for joining us for Labor Day. If you're here in person, that's great. If you're watching online, if you're laboring on your couch, maybe you're out on the river watching on your phone, that's great. We're just so glad that you're able to join us. One thing I want to uh, get you a little commercial activity for, and we had an announcement earlier on this, where we're starting a new podcast which is something very exciting for us. The podcast is fun. Get sermon audio, and, and that part you can get on the website as well. But we're doing a new thing with the podcast, and it's called Midpoint. I don't know if you had the opportunity to hear about this yet. But it's an opportunity for you to kind of engage with the sermon. Look over, hey, here's what the sermon was about last week. Here's where we're going to go next week. And there's an opportunity for us to kind of field some questions. If you have a question about something in the sermon, you can write it down. There's a little drop box out in the lobby. You could put your note in there, or you can email it to us. It's occpodcast at lewistonocc.org, and we'd love to kind of engage with you. So we did the first one last week. Brenton set it up. It was great. It was so much fun to just kind of engage in that way. So if you're a podcast lover, wherever you get your podcast, Spotify or Apple or whatever, just search for Orchards Community Church. You're going to find this logo which I think is really neat, the Bible with the little podcast mic coming out of it. Again, Britton did that too, creative guy. And so engage with that. We think that is wonderful, a good, good opportunity. Grab your Bible. We are going to study. We are getting ready to round out the Gospel of Luke. It is, we are so close to the finish line. This is the second to the last message, and, and we're going to end in a couple weeks. We're going to take a break next week to do our fall kickoff. We kind of do that every fall where we highlight a lot of the areas where you can get plugged in. We can get relationally connected. You can find Bible studies and small groups and service opportunities. So we'll talk about the importance of that Now it helps us grow and make disciples who make disciples. And then the week after that, we will finish up the Gospel of Luke, and we will celebrate because it is worthy of celebrating two and a half years we've been together in Luke, and I'm very, very excited about moving on and seeing what God has for us after that. It's been a a phenomenal study for us, but before we start today, before you turn there in your Bible, I want to ask you this. I read this story, and and you got to tell me if you think this is weird. I heard about a mom and a grandma, and they're watching their son, their grandson, and he wanted to go out and play in the sandbox. He had this beautiful sandbox, really nice, in his front yard. His dad had built for him. He loved to play in the sandbox. He said, hey, would you come out and play with me in the sandbox? Well, mom and grandma, they're supposed to be watching the little boy. They love him anyway. Sure, we'll play in the sandbox. So he gets him each like a truck and a, you know, some kind of loader thing, and he gets him a little pail and, and a shovel, and he puts a little water in their pails so they can build some sandcastles, and they go out to play, right? And they're playing, and, and they're hanging out with the little boy. And the mom and the grandma, they kind of get really engrossed in what they're doing. They're going to build like the biggest sandcastle in the world. And so they're talking and having a good time. And kind of unbeknownst to them, little boy gets hungry. He goes inside. <laughs> He's going to go get a snack. Well, now they notice they're working on the sandcastle. And their neighbors are like walking by, and they're looking at him really funny. <laughs> and some of them are pulling out their cameras. They're taking pictures. And like, what are we? And so it takes them a couple minutes before they realize they're all alone <laughs> in the sandbox. Two grown women just sitting in that sandbox. Would, would you stop and take a picture? That seems a little odd to me. What happened to him? 
Same thing that happens to a lot of us sometimes. We get so engrossed in doing something, we forget why we're doing it. They were there to play with the little boy, right? They were there to make sure he didn't get any trouble. And they got so consumed in what they were doing, they lost focus, which happens sometimes to us. I think, sadly, it happens in the church. It's not all that hard to imagine getting lost, forgetting why we're doing the things we're doing. We said earlier, Jody did in the announcement, we've got a lot of stuff going on here. Programs and small groups and Bible studies and service opportunities and Celebrate Recovery and, and all these things. And those things are great. Sometimes we get wrapped up in those things. We, we honestly, we have to have a service every weekend. You guys are going to show up. We can't not do something, right? We got the podcast we're going to do. And there's pressure with some of those things. And, and if we get engrossed in those things, we can lose sight of why we do them. Those are there to help us connect. Those are there to help us make disciples who make disciples. Those are there to help us share the gospel message. And that's what we're going to see in the text today. The resurrected Jesus shows up and he's going to remind his disciples of this importance of not losing focus. Now, I mentioned this last week. It's kind of hard to put this conversation on a strict timeline. I don't know if Jesus said these words the day he showed up or if this was somewhere in that 40-day period between his resurrection and his ascension. It's a topic we'll address in the last three verses of Luke. But no matter how he said this, no matter what the venue was, this challenge, this message, it worked. It helped transform the disciples. Because as we saw them right after the resurrection, they were lost, right? They were clueless. These guys were scared. They were confused. And and when we pick them up again, starting next year in the book of Acts, these guys are bold. They're courageous. They're outspoken. So what happened to these guys that changed them from being fearful to being willing to lose their life to share this message? I want us to understand this message wasn't just for them. It's for us as well today. It's for the church in 2022 Not just me, not just people who are called to vocational ministry. This is for every Christ follower. We have to heed this call. We're supposed to put God first. We're supposed to go out and share this message. We're all evangelists. We're witnesses because we make up the local church, which makes up the universal church. So for each one of us, we should make Christ's purpose our purpose. And these verses spell out the message we're supposed to go and share Very, very clearly. So if you don't have your Bible, join me here on the Sky Bible. Luke 24, starting in verse 44. Then Jesus said to the disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. What did I tell you? That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then I love this, verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Verse 48, he says, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. He says, but stay here in the city until you are clothed with that power from on high. All right, this is a big challenge. This is a huge challenge for the disciples back in the day, and for us today. And there's a whole bunch of takeaways. So I hope you grabbed one of the outlines as you're coming in. You'll kind of walk through this point by point. But verse 47 says, repentance is the message that we're supposed to share. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Christ's name to all the nations. That's the instruction. And as you can tell there, the target audience is huge. Go share this with the whole world. 
And because that's so broad, let's kind of try and break this down into some bite-sized chunks. Right out of the gate, the actual source material we're supposed to use, the thing we're supposed to reference is God's word. That's what verse 44 says. Now, for those guys back in the day, it was just the Old Testament. That's all that had been written at that point in time. We're blessed. We have the completed document. We can use the New Testament as well. But as we go out to make disciples, we're supposed to share the good news that we find in the Bible. And we're supposed to share it with the whole world. Does that seem hard? That seems like a big task, right? Now, what is so neat, I think, is, is we may not all call ourselves student of the Bible, but we have a Bible with us almost everywhere we go because virtually everybody's carrying a phone, right? Jesus didn't have that back in the day, and he still gave the message. I love this because he shared this with the two disciples who were on the way to Emmaus when he appeared to them. Luke 24, 27 says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus was doing it back then, pointing to what is written. He wants us to do it today. Now, I would say it's honestly, there's parts of it that are harder today. Because back in the day, everybody knew the stories, right? I doubt, I know Jesus wasn't carrying a phone. I doubt he was carrying a copy of the scriptures. I don't think he opened it up and said, hey, look at this, look at that. I think as he walked along, he told stories. Hey, do you remember this reference? Do you remember this thing? And the people he was talking to did. People back in the day knew the Old Testament stories, right? Right? That much is not really true today. A lot of people do not have a knowledge, a working knowledge of the Bible. But again, we're carrying a Bible with us everywhere we go. We, we could get a Bible app and we could show people, hey, I'm not making this message up. This is written right here in God's Word. Now, people may choose not to believe the source material. That creates a different problem. But as we go out to share the message, we're supposed to be pointing people to the Bible. Jesus gives that instruction quite often. He does here in verse 44, and it's really broad. I want to revisit this. Because he said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, where was it written? In the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So how broad is that? He says, everything written about me, every part of it is going to be fulfilled. The text actually says it must be fulfilled. It's the Greek word die, and die was a serious word. It means it's an absolute necessity. It's God's sovereign plan that it's going to happen. Now, I think one of the big reasons that Jesus includes this is he wants his guys to know that death on the cross was not an accident. I think even though Jesus had told them forever that he was going to go to the cross, when it finally happened, I think they thought, uh-oh, something's wrong, right? And he's saying, no, this is part of the plan. Going to the cross didn't derail God's plan to reconcile people back to relationship with himself. It was part of the plan. But that event left so many people confused and sad and bewildered. But it was actually a fulfillment of a whole bunch of Old Testament scripture. God was still in control. And it proves that God can use things that look bad to us for his glory, for good. He's that wise. And I always tell you to notice things that are unique in the Bible. And this is one of those things. This is the only biblical reference to the three divisions of the Old Testament. Usually when Jesus is talking about the Old Testament, he does it the way he did to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He calls it Moses and the prophets. But did you see he added something here? He included the Psalms. I think he's trying to say every part, you can't leave any part out, every part of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Every part points to his work on the cross. So we need to understand how important the written word of God was to Jesus because it was the blueprint for his whole life. 
Everything that God's servants wrote down, that was going to impact Jesus. Jesus wasn't a renegade, right? He wasn't out plotting his own course for his life. He was going to live by that phrase that he said many, many times. People in the New Testament would ask him questions. Jesus, what about this? Jesus, what about that? Do you remember what he answered most commonly? Well, what is written? He'd point back to what was written because that had to be fulfilled. And so this passage is a clear takeaway for us. Why? Because we're now called to be the witnesses. We're called to be the ambassadors. What does that mean? It means we can't make up our own message. We're not supposed to. People do it. There's, there's people running around peddling false gospels today, just like there were back in Jesus' day. Back in Paul's day, false teaching is not a brand new thing. It's just, it seems like it's proliferating, right? But Jesus picked his guys to go out and be witnesses. He didn't pick the disciples because they were super creative religious geniuses who might come up with a fantastic new idea. They weren't these profound philosophers who are going to tell people, I think I have this amazing way you can connect with God. No, they're eyewitnesses. And that's a big part of being a good witness. If you're going to be a faithful witness, you've got to tell the truth. That's why we make people who testify in, in a legal trial today take an oath to say, I'm not going to make this story up. I'm just going to tell you what I saw, what I heard. I've shared many times with you guys. You know from my reading and my teaching of the Bible, there are parts that I struggle with. There are parts that are very hard to obey. We can't begin to touch on all of them today, but I'll just start with die to yourself to live for him. That's a little tough. Love your enemies. Forgive those as you've been forgiven. I could go on and on. Here's the bottom line. I don't always like all the instructions in the Bible but I don't get to delete them from the Bible, right? Just because I don't like them, I can't throw them away. We're not supposed to modify the message into something that's easier to preach. It doesn't work that way. As preachers and teachers, as evangelists and witness, anytime we share God's word, we can't just share the parts we like and skip the parts we don't like. That's not the true gospel. So again, false teaching is not new, but we see it everywhere, and probably because of the internet, I blame that. But I want to share an example, and I'm not going to share this guy's name because I don't want to give him any of that praise. But, but this is a guy who probably started the first mega church that we see now today, these huge churches. And he wrote a bunch of books, made a zillion bucks. He wrote this in one of his books. He said, I believe that if Jesus could speak to us today, and I've got issues already because Jesus can speak to us today, but don't get me started. <laughs> Lots of false teaching here. If Jesus could speak to us today... He writes, he would not tell us that we're miserable sinners. Rather, he would tell us to be proud of who we are, to stop putting ourselves down, and to start enjoying the dignity that is our God-intended destiny. He goes on to write, God wants all of us to feel good about ourselves. And you ready for this? To be born again is to be changed from a negative to a positive self-image. Nothing about eternity with God. Nothing about dying ourselves, live for him. Just a positive self-image. This guy's a millionaire. Sold a zillion books in Christian bookstores. He was making up his own message. He wasn't teaching the gospel. He wasn't preaching what the Bible preaches. He was just tickling ears. And the Bible told us it was going to happen. When Paul was in the process of pouring into Timothy, he was making a disciple of Timothy so Timothy could go out and make disciples. When he was pouring into Timothy so Timothy could lead the local church, he told him this same thing, 2 Timothy 4. For the time is coming, Timothy, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to, you ready for this, suit their own passions. 
They'll turn away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. You've heard this expression before, right? The, the itching ears. What does that mean? Well, that describes people who seek out messages that align with the kind of lives they want to lead. They want a message that makes them feel better about the choices they want to make. Not to die to themselves, but to just be able to do what they want to do. As opposed to adhering to the hard teaching that we find in God's word. That was true back in the day. It's true today. So as we go out as witnesses to share the message with the whole world, it's got to be God's message, okay? Can't be our message. Can't be mine. Can't be sharing anything that deviates from the truth in God's word. That's the call, and I will admit this, it does create another issue, right? Well, sure, Pastor James, I do want to go out and accurately teach the things the Bible teaches, but I don't know that I accurately understand what the Bible is teaching. That's a real dilemma. I want to go out and do it. I'm not 100% sure. Now, here's something I'm going to say, and I strongly believe this, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but because the Bible is inspired by God, because we read that it is living and active, I truly believe this. I believe you can read a passage in the Bible and say, I don't get it, and close the Bible and pray and ask God to reveal it to you, and he will. Doesn't seem like maybe he always will, but, but I, I believe because it's living and active that that can happen. Now, sometimes we just short-circuit the process. We don't want to go through that work, and so we cheat. I cheat every week. I've got commentaries and study Bibles, and I go online. I'm not saying don't use those things. I think those things can be really helpful if you use them in a discerning way. I want to show you a picture of my office this week because Pastor Forrest made fun of me when he came up when I was working on the sermon. But <laughs> I was getting a little outside help. <laughs> and, and he looked at me, and I'll, it was so funny. He goes, you know all that stuff's on the Internet, right? <laughs> You don't have to have all the books. I like the books. And I had the internet open. I had Bible Gateway open. So, so the thing is, we can use that stuff. It's not that we can't, right? God gives us those things too. But, but the thing is, are we asking? Because I believe that God will show us in a very discerning fashion. And I believe it based on Luke 24, 45. Do you remember what he said? Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scripture. Jesus opened the disciples' mind to understand the Scripture. Do we think that's a one-off? Do we think that only happened back then to those guys? It can't happen for us today? I'm positive that it can because I know what's happened for me. And I'm not. I've still never heard God's audible voice, but I've heard his still small voice in reading his word often. I've been so blessed, and sometimes it's by you. Last week, it was my wife and another person in the body who came up, and this was kind of part of the idea for the podcast. Let's hear your questions. That, that really challenged me. I was like, am I understanding that correctly? I think that's fantastic. Do I wish God would come up behind me and smack me in the head and go, you really should get this. You're standing up in front of people. I, yes, that would be nice. <laughs> Doesn't hadn't worked that way for me yet, but it could, right? He could do that anytime he wanted. I'd love that. That's what verse 45 says. Jesus has the power and the ability to open the minds of people who can't understand the Bible. Have you done that? You read the Bible and like, I don't get what it's telling me to do. I don't understand the context. The application is hidden. It's just too confusing. God can reveal that to you. I know that he can for any one of us who desires to understand the Bible. And then he gives us a priority. Jesus highlights one of the prominent themes that we should always be preaching to others, and that's verse 46 to 47. We've got to share the message of the cross. We can't go out saying the cross was just an accident. It wasn't a mistake. God didn't fall asleep at the wheel. The next thing you know, Jesus was on the cross. No, that's not the way it works. 
The cross was never plan B. It was always plan A. Jesus had to be crucified. He had to rise again. Why? So he could conquer sin and death. That's the thing that makes salvation available. He did that so he could grant forgiveness of sin. That had to occur. And it is one of the main themes of the Bible. I know you've heard me say this from this stage. The major theme of the Bible is that God created us. And he wants to have a relationship with us. And sin stands in the way of that. So he needed a way to be able to reconcile the sinful people back to himself, and he did it. Christ died on the cross to conquer sin, to pay the penalty for that sin. And now those who profess faith can be reconciled. God's word goes to painstaking detail to explain that. We're not going to be able to earn salvation through our own effort. If we could buy our way in through our own good works, Jesus wouldn't have had to go to the cross. That's not what happened. It's because of his death and burial and resurrection that he paid my wages for sin. That's how it works. The crucifixion and the resurrection satisfied God's perfect justice. Now he's free to forgive the sin of anyone who places their faith in him. Because we're acknowledging what Christ accomplished on our behalf. That part of the story is the highest priority. Now you might have noticed the Bible's a pretty thick book. There's a lot of other stuff in there, right? There's a bunch of sub points. There's great stuff, helpful instruction, guidance, wisdom, but all of it points back to what? The cross. I'm pretty sure that's what Paul meant when he wrote this to the church in Corinth. He said, Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom. We preach what? Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. It's folly to the Gentiles. Read the Bible. There's all kinds of signs. There's all kinds of wonders. There's all kinds of Wisdom, Paul taught about a a ton of things. Jeez, he wrote half the New Testament. (laughs) Wrote about divorce and remarriage and foundations of faith and and making disciples who make disciples and application for Christian living as the Holy Spirit poured into him. But as he's talking about all those things, first and foremost, always on his mind, was the cross. It was Christ crucified. And Jesus is saying that's a good message. So here in Luke 24, he's telling his guys, as you go out and share the true message in Scripture, the power of Jesus through his Holy Spirit, he's going to give you words to say that come from his word. Make the cross a priority. Keep the resurrection at the heart of our thinking and living. And in verse 47, he gives us kind of a summation of the actual message that we're supposed to go out and share. Did you catch it in verse 47? It's the title of the sermon on our outline. Repentance is the message. Back at verse 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Are we doing that? As we go out to share and point to the cross, are we sharing a message of repentance? Are we going, what does that even mean? (laughs) Repentance is a tricky word. It's a loaded word today. And some of it is because we don't define it correctly. Far too often I've seen this. A lot of times when we say repent, we we place it in that context of we'll just stop sinning. Repent means just stop sinning. We picture that guy out there with the bullhorn and the the sign, and I saw this guy at the Mariners game last month. There were two of them, one on each end of the stadium, with a big bullhorn and a sign, repent, and just shouting at people about how they need to stop sinning. It was off-putting, honestly. I was praying for the guy to change his message a little bit because he had half of it right that stop sinning is a good place to start, but you've got to explain the rest. 
The application of repenting involves turning from our sin, but that act alone is not enough to save us. Repenting is not part of responding to the good news that God created us and loves us and made the way for us to be reconciled by professing faith. Repenting can't be a part of that. We can't have to stop sinning because that would be a work. And we already said we can't earn our way in. If we have to stop sinning before we can be saved, that's not the gospel. So folks who stand there with a sign and who scream into a bullhorn, they're making up their own message. That's not the way that's supposed to work. So, Pastor James, what does biblical repentance really mean? Well, in the Bible, when we see this word repent, it's in the New Testament, the Greek word metanaeo, and it literally means this, to change one's mind. Metanaeo means to change one's purpose. And in the New Testament, it is almost exclusively, in almost every instance, it's used about sin. And so that's where we get this notion of repent from your sin. But that's sadly then also where we stretch it. Repent from your sin in order to be saved. And, and we stretch it to well, you got to stop sinning to be saved. I can see how the progression happened, but it's not right. The breadth of the intended meaning of metanaeo is that we change our mind, and that results in a change of our action. And we put those two together because how do we normally act according to what we believe? That's the thing that drives us, right? We tend to act in a way that would accomplish our purpose. And so that's why the definition of repent, I stole from seminary. I didn't stole. I paid to go to seminary. But <laughs> I'm going to give it to you free of charge today. It cost me a lot of money. But, but this is what I learned at Dallas Theological Seminary. True repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. That's what repentance is. It's a change of mind that results in a change of action. And that's super practical when you think about it, especially in terms of forgiveness of sin. It pertains to salvation. Because we are not only saved from our sin, it's not just that we turned from our sin. What do we do? We turn towards something. We're saved from our sin. We're saved to a relationship with God. So we turn from our sin. We turn towards God. It's a change of mind that results in a change of action. We can't stop sinning on our own through our own strength. We need to make sure we tell people that. If we go out to share the gospel with somebody and we say, all you got to do is stop sinning, we're not doing it right. We need to share the whole truth. Now, in Luke's sequel to the gospel account, and this is why we're going to study this next year, the, the book of the Acts. It's the story of the Acts of the Apostles. In chapter 2, Luke records the events that happen on the day of Pentecost. It's a big day in the history of the church. Day of Pentecost, 10 days after the ascension, is when the Holy Spirit came to indwell all believers. In the Old Testament, when you read about folks who were believers, they did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We've got a leg up on them now because it happens for us the moment we profess faith. That's what happens because of the day of Pentecost. But on that day, Peter preaches this phenomenal sermon. It's so intense. I mean, like it's kind of fire and brimstone stuff. It's really good. And he's out just lighting people up, explaining why Jesus went through what he went through. And he's got this huge audience, this crowd of people. Now, many of these people, I don't think this is a stretch whatsoever, many of these people were the same people who were in a similar-sized crowd just a few months earlier when Pilate was standing there. And he gave the people in the crowd a choice. Do you remember what the choice was? Hey, here's Barabbas, and here's Jesus. I'm going to free one of these guys. Which do you want me to free? And, and they yelled, free Barabbas! And he turned to Jesus and he said, well, what do you want me to do with this guy? And what did they say? Crucify him. 
I think those same people who were in that crowd that day are here listening to Peter's sermon. And it totally changes their life, right? So we see what happens. These people who are yelling for Jesus to be crucified as a criminal, this is what they hear in Peter's sermon. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. They'd all seen these. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan, the foreknowledge of God. It was not plan B. You ready for this? You crucified. This Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death can't hold Jesus. We get it. So Peter just lets him have it. He preaches. He says, you guys are the ones who crucified Jesus. Yeah, the Romans did the dirty work, right? They were the lawless men. But you were the ones who were calling out for him to die. And so God used this fiery sermon from Peter to convict these unbelieving folks and look at how they responded. This is beautiful. Verse 37. Now when they'd heard this, Peter's fire and brimstone sermon, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? You ready? Peter said to them, met an aeo. Met an aeo. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says they got to repent. Why? Because they had believed Jesus was a liar. They believed he was a lunatic. They didn't believe all the signs. They didn't believe all the wonders. They thought he was crazy. They wanted him dead. They yelled, crucify him. And Peter said, you guys got to change your minds about Jesus. You got to change your mind where you go from calling him a liar or a lunatic, and that change resulted in a change in their action where now after Peter's sermon, they know he's the Lord. And with that act of repentance, they did change their actions. It says they went out and got baptized to publicly identify with Christ. Now that part didn't save them, but it says their sins were forgiven. They received the Holy Spirit. That doesn't happen when someone gets baptized. When does that happen? When someone professes faith. The baptism then is an identification with. But that's what happened. They changed their mind. They no longer thought Jesus was a criminal. Now they know he's the Christ. And that resulted in a change of their action. They placed their faith in Jesus. That's repentance. That's the challenge for us as we go out to preach this message of repentance, to share the gospel, to be so, so careful to not talk to somebody and go, well, hey, you got to stop sinning. That's a, that's a rough place to start. If you start there, you got to redeem it. By God's power, he wants you to stop sinning because he wants you to turn away from your sin and turn towards him. That's repentance. That's the message we have to share. Big challenge. Who do we need to share it with? This gets bigger. Next point on your outline. Everybody. (laughs) Verse 47 truly says all the nations. What does that mean? The whole world. The message was going to start right where the disciples were in Jerusalem. Then it's supposed to spread throughout the whole world. Jesus says to the nations, that's the Greek word ethne. It's where we get our English word ethnic, right? Hear about all the ethnicities. That's what it is. That's the call. Go out and share this message. Use God's word, which he can help us understand, to go out and share the message of the cross, to share the importance of repentance to the whole world. That sound easy? No. We know it's not easy. 
That's going to set us up for the end of this sermon. But, but let me just say a brief word on this idea of sharing the gospel everywhere. This has had just such a, a remarkable undertaking in like the last 50 years or so. And the call has been forever to go out and make disciples who make disciples. But in the last 50 years or so, about 1974, missionaries kind of changed their outlook for how they were doing this. It used to be you'd go try and, and, you know, just internalize in a people group and you didn't speak the language and you had to go through a bunch of training. And they kind of changed 50 years ago, go and carry that message to natives and then have the natives go back because <laughs> they already know the culture. They already know the language. And, and really it's exploded in the way the gospel is shared. Gospel still hasn't reached the ends of the earth yet, but that's the way it's going to make it. I guarantee it. But how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to answer that call? Well, we're not going to be able to do it on our own. The text tells us in verses 48 and 49, we're going to have to be continually filled by the Holy Spirit to accomplish this task. And this is a huge preview of what we're going to see when we get to Acts chapter 1, because that's where we actually look at that account of Jesus' ascension. And we'll look at it in the last three verses in Luke as well. But there's that 40-day gap between the resurrection and the ascension. Another 10 days pass before Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit comes and fills people up. You're probably familiar with this verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But this is the full command from Jesus. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem. And then in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the culmination of the challenge here. Take the message to the whole world. Take it to the ends of the earth. But wait. Don't try to do it on your own. You gotta wait for the Holy Spirit's indwelling power. As soon as you get that, get moving, right? I can show you a map of what that area looked like back in the day, and you see Jerusalem down there towards the bottom part of your map. That's where it's gonna start. It says, make sure you start there in your hometown. Start in J-Town. And then it's like throwing a, a rock out into the water, and you see the ripples start to go out. And then you can go down to Judea. Go south. Then you can go north up to Samaria. And then you go, and the circle keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually it makes it to the Lewis Clark Valley. Amen? Because that's the way that works. Jesus didn't show up in Orofino and start from there. He showed up in Jerusalem. And the circles kept going and going and going. Jesus in Orofino would be a neat idea. Just saying. This is the way it's supposed to work. He says, start there in J-Town and then move out. And that challenge wasn't just for the disciples, it's for us too. We're to be the witnesses, going out under the power of the Holy Spirit, using God's word as our resource, pointing to the cross, carrying this message of repentance to the whole world. Do we see how big this is? How are we doing? If we had to grade ourselves does this seem too big? Let me close with this. I heard this story, and, and I thought it's such an incredible encouragement to say we might not have to dive in and feel like we got to do all this tomorrow. Can we start in a small way? Can we just get started joining God and see how he can use us? I heard a story of a guy, and he was on a cruise ship, and he started feeling sick. I don't know if he got seasick or, or whatever. But he started feeling sick, and so he had to go to his room. He couldn't go out and enjoy the shows and the food and the buffet and all that. He's just sick sitting in his room. And so he goes to bed. And, and I, again, I've never been on a cruise ship, but apparently this happens. Somebody fell overboard on the ship. And when they do, sirens go off, and it's a big deal because they're going to try and rescue you. Know? So this guy falls in. Well, the guy wakes up, you know, the guy hadn't been feeling well, and he goes over to the window of his cabin, and he looks out and sees nothing. You know, it's pitch black. They're in the middle of the ocean at night. And so he gets his phone out. 
because he's got a flashlight on his phone. He turns his flashlight on and he, and he shines it out the window. And just at that moment, just a couple seconds after he shines his flashlight out, he sees a lifeboat down there, one of the little life rafts, one of the inflatable dudes. And at that moment, the people in the life raft reach down and they grab this guy out of the water and they chuck him back up into the boat and they save his life. Amazing, right? And so the next day, this guy who'd fallen overboard, the guy who was rescued from drowning, he's up on deck and he's a celebrity, right? Everybody wants to talk to this guy, hear his story. And the guy who hadn't been feeling well the night before, he comes out to hear the story. And the guy tells this compelling story. Man, I went in the water. It was cold. It was dark. I couldn't see a thing. And I was struggling. I was yelling. I was screaming. And, and after a while, I, I, just, I started to lose my strength. And I went down. I went under. And I had enough power. I had enough strength. And I was able to get my head back above water. And, and, and I was paddling some more. And, and, and man, I was losing strength. Pitch black. Couldn't see a thing. And I went down again. And I was able to just barely get my head above water. I got one last gasp of air. I went down again. And I, I tried to get to the surface. I tried to breach the surface. I couldn't. As I was able to get my hand above the water, that's it. And at that moment, a light came on. Somebody shone a light out a window. And the life raft was right there by me. Couldn't see my hand. But then with the light, they saw my hand. They reached in and grabbed me and saved me. Here's this guy who wasn't feeling well, didn't think he could contribute anything to the process of saving somebody. But what did he do? He shone his light. We may not feel like we understand the Bible well enough to preach to anybody. We may really need to understand, do I, do I get what the gospel message is that I can't save myself? I have to profess faith in a God who can and will save me because he loves me and wants to be in a relationship with me. Can we go out and share that message? boldly to the whole world, maybe we could start just by shining a light. Maybe we could start by pointing somebody to a scripture. Maybe we could start by inviting somebody to church. Maybe we could start by saying, hey, I know a guy who's got a huge passion. I know a lady who does a Bible study. They really want to make disciples. Why don't you and I go together? We'll talk next week more about things we can get plugged into, but, but this is a chance for us to shine a light. Can we do it for God's glory, not for OCC's glory, for God's glory? I know we can. I know so many of us are. God bless you guys. I sure do love you. Let's pray. Daddy, help us to join you. Help us to shine the light. Help us to be used by you. This passage is a huge challenge for the 11 disciples back in the day, but it is so applicable for us today. Can we lean in on your word? As we go out to be witnesses, can we make sure we're not peddling our own message, God, but your message? Can we share the truth of that message of repentance, of pointing to the cross and saying, repentance means we're going to change our mind about who Jesus is, what he came to do. And that change in our mind is going to result in a change of our action where we profess faith in him and his work on the cross. Can we share that message to everybody we come in contact with? God, whether we're going to have a bullhorn or whether we're going to have a flashlight, God, help us to be used by you, to point people to you, for your glory. God, we love you and we praise you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care and God bless.